Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering chapter 28 of the Teachings of the Doctrine of Eternal Lives. The title of the chapter is called King and Priest. The Apostle John And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Revelations chapter 1 verse 6. Let's see here. Joseph Smith. They are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and of his glory. Doctrine and Covenants section 76 verse 56. What of the Melchizedek who had still greater power even power from an endless life of which was our Lord Jesus Christ, which also Abraham obtained by the offering of his son Isaac, which was not the power of a prophet, nor an apostle, nor a patriarch, but uh, only but of king and priest to God and the open and to open the windows of heaven and pour out the peace and law of endless life to man. And no man can attain to the joint heirship with Jesus Christ without being administered to by one having the same power and authority of Melchizedek. End quote, and that's from the words of Joseph Smith by uh, Andrew E. Hat, and I'm just doing this by memory, I can't remember. Andrew E. Hat, and there's another guy that they co wrote it. Anyway, but that's on Words of Joseph Smith, page 245. The next quote by Joseph Smith What was the power of Melchizedek? Twas not the priesthood of Aaron which administered in outward ordinances and the offer, offering of sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessing. In fact, what priesthood is a perfect law of theocracy and stands as God to give laws to the people? administering endless lives to the sons and daughters of uh, of Adam. History of the Church, Volume 5, page 555. I'm going to go back and read this. What was the power of Melchizedek? Twas not the priesthood of Aaron, which administered in outward ordinances and the offering of sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessing. Let let me just... The reason why I'm going over this is because, like, were you ordained a king and a priest when you received the Melchizedek priesthood? No, because that's the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood. It is not the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood. When I received the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, I had to receive it from the Father himself. That's part of the reason why I saw him face to face in 2003. That's part of the reason why I kneeled before him and he endowed me with power And he gave me the fullness of the priesthood. I have been anointed as a king with spiced oils that ran down my, from the crown of my head down through me. That was a physical experience and a spiritual experience. And in fact, the spiced oils that were used to anoint me as a king and priest, the physical ones, like there was cinnamon in them. And I like cinnamon with olive oil and some other uh, spike dart. And I can't remember 
all that was in those oils, but like I do remember that cinnamon because cinnamon it kind of burned my forehead a little bit and it was dripping down um, down my face and down my like from the top of my head and uh, it was an experience that uh, I never thought that I would have Uh, but I learned that um, keep your head up when you're being anointed like that, when oil's being poured on your head, because um, you don't want it to get into your um, into your eyes or onto your face, because your the skin, at least my skin, is sensitive on my face, um, and like I could still tell the. Uh, the really warm sensation of the cinnamon on my skin, on my, on the top of my head. But that was the physical experience. The spiritual experiences or experiences was where it felt like oil, hot oil was being poured into my soul, filling my whole body from the top of my head. to the bottom of my feet. And that was um, a baptism of fire that I was receiving. And it was like the whole, my whole soul was completely cleansed at that point, body and spirit. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people are like, oh, the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood is just the Melchizedek priesthood. But there's different orders of the Melchizedek priesthood. In order to receive the Melchizedek priesthood, you have to have somebody who has it give it to you. That's why Peter, James, and John had to give it to Joseph Smith and Oliver Caldry. And then Joseph Smith and Oliver Caldry, they gave it out from, from themselves to others. From man to man. Uh, but there's a secret. Like women have the matriarchal priesthood. That's a, that is a the female version of the Melchizedek priesthood. And men have patriarchal priesthood. Like... There's so much more going into these things. It's deeper than uh, what most people think at face value. Of course, women have to be ordained with a matriarchal priesthood or they don't have it. My wife has been ordained with the matriarchal priesthood and she is a queen and a priest, a priestess. But continuing on, um, in order to receive the fullness of the priesthood, you must first have had the Melchizedek priesthood given to you and performed in your uh, your rights and your obligations in that priesthood to the point where the Father himself gives you the fullness. Not even the Son can give you the fullness, only the Father. That is his right to give that to whom he will. And part of the reason why Jesus said in the 1841 Revelation, build a temple, he was talking to Joseph Smith, and he said, build a temple whereby the Most High, speaking of the Father, can come to other and that he, the Father, might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away. And what is that that was taken away? It was the fullness of the priesthood from the earth. It had not yet been restored to the earth. Build a temple whereby the Most High can come to other and that he might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Now, there's a couple things here. 
in order to come into the physical presence of the Father for him to restore anything to you, you have to have already received the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood. So for the individuals out there who want to say, oh, that means that that the Father or Jesus Christ, because I've, I've read, like, it's so stupid. Like, Jesus is the one speaking to Joseph Smith. And they're like, oh, this means that Jesus is going to come. Denver Snuffer's the one that um, he talks about that. Oh, Jesus has to come to restore the Melchizedek priesthood because the Melchizedek priesthood was taken away. But no, this is Jesus saying in this revelation that was given January 1841, build a temple whereby the Most High can come dwell therein, that he, not Jesus, he, the Most High, can restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Jesus is speaking of the Father in the third person. In order to come into the presence of the Father, you have to have the first order of the Melchizedek priesthood. And we're not talking about dreams and visions here. We're talking about the physical presence of the Father cannot be entered into by those who do not have the Melchizedek priesthood. That includes men and women. The priesthood that was to be restored in the Nauvoo Temple, if it had been built on time, would have been the redemption of Zion. Because the endowment that was to be given was the endowment of the fullness of the priesthood, which was an endowment of power and authority to the saints of God. Now, Jesus said, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church. Speaking of building that temple, and guess what happened? The church did not complete the temple. All of the blessings that Jesus said would happen if they completed the temple, none of that happened. All the things that he said would happen if they did not complete the temple, that's what happened, which included rejection of the church. And Lyman White in Nauvoo recorded in his journal that Joseph Smith was speaking to the people and Joseph Smith stated that the church had been rejected. I think he said it was because of sloth. In 1843. Later on in Doctrine and Covenants section 124, which is given in January of 1841, Jesus says, All they who hinder this work, speaking of building the temple, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. So he says that the church would be rejected with their dead. And they would be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Now, what is he speaking of here? The rejection is that they don't receive any more revelation. They do not receive the fullness of the priesthood. That's the rejection. It's not that they're completely, like, all of the revelations are taken away from them. Um, it's not that um, the church doesn't maintain what it had been given which uh, I'm talking about the Melchizedek and the Aaronic priesthoods. But Joseph Smith being the Lord's anointed was the Lord's anointed and he was the only one at that time. The secession crisis was, was wrong. Brigham Young didn't have the authority. Sidney Rigdon didn't have the authority. Lyman White didn't have the authority. Sidney Rigdon didn't have the authority. James Strang did not have the authority. None of them were the, the Lord's anointed. None of them held the mantle of authority that the prophet Joseph Smith, who was the Lord's anointed, had. Now, they could be prophets because God wants all of his 
children to be prophets, but that doesn't mean that they're the Lord's anointed, and it doesn't mean that they they can that they gain more revelation to further the advancement of the saints towards the redemption of Zion, which is the goal. They were rejected and they were cursed, meaning they would not progress or they were basically damned until the end of the fourth generation. Lyman White saying that Joseph Smith was telling the saints that that the church had been rejected in 1843 is very significant to my timeline. Because the end of the fourth generation, if you take one generation for the children of Moses walking around behind him in the wilderness, that was 40 years. That was called one generation. The fourth generation spoken of in Doctrine and Covenants section 124 would be at the end of 160 years, which from 1843 to 2003 is 100 and uh, no, I think it's 160 years. Sorry, 160 years. That's when the father began his work. That's talked about in Third Nephi. It was more than just the work of the son. It was the work of the father. When he brought me to his presence and gave me the fullness of the priesthood and sealed me up unto eternal life, being sealed up unto himself. Anointing me as a king and a priest and the Lord's anointed, or the second witness or apostle of the Father. That's who I am. That happened at the end of the fourth generation, and the work begins again because the church in Nauvoo was rejected with their dead the work had to begin again at another time because all they who hindered this work meaning all of the saints of Nauvoo and everywhere else wherever they were they were cursed to the fourth generation And these Judas goats like Denver Snuffer and Phil Davis that have risen up that are teaching you that the fullness of the priesthood is the ironic pre or no is the is just the Melchizedek priesthood. And that Jesus himself has to come, even though Jesus is speaking of the Father in the third person. They are Judas goats. What is a Judas goat? A Judas goat is somebody is, is an animal who is raised up with the sheep, who is trained to come when the shepherd calls it, and the goats will follow the goat. I mean, the, the sheep will follow the goats. And they will go into the, the pathway, which is called a chute, that goes into the slaughterhouse. And right before... The goats go into the slaughterhouse. The goat will be lifted up and the sheep will go into the slaughterhouse. And it, it's really co- quite sad how it happens because the first followers of the, of the Judas goat, they will be first in line and the other sheep will be pushing into the chute and pushing the the first of the flock into the butcher house. And the Judas goat is the one that led them there. Joseph Smith taught correctly that when God raises up a true prophet, that Satan will raise up prophets as well that will be so very close to the truth like they will seem like true prophets and they will deceive the people and why is that because the people have to be tested 
because the cream of the crop will rise to the top and those individuals who are discerning won't be trapped by following the Judas goats, the false prophets like Denver Snuffer and Phil Davis and others. Like I, when um, Denver Snuffer had a lot of his, uh, par- like a lot of parallel things happen to him at the same, like there's a lot of parallels in our lives, Denver and I. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a truck driver. He's a lawyer. He's older than me. That's fine. We both lived in New Hampshire. That's kind of cool. We both supposedly saw Jesus Christ in 2003. So I saw the the father and the son, but he, he said he saw the father. No, he saw the son. He says he's seen the father, but I don't know when he claimed that happened. And I've never, I've never heard him give specific details about his experience. Maybe it's too sacred to talk about. You know, who knows? All I know is that I had hope that, that you know, God was raising up another prophet, and like I wouldn't be the only one who have has had these experiences. So I was very intrigued by Denver Snuffer, up until. Um, up until I can't remember if it was 2014 or 15, um, we I was invited to a, a restoration conference to be one of the speakers, and I was one of the first people invited by this guy. Uh, was putting it together. His name was Tony, and I can't remember what his last name was, but he he actually died. Oh, about four or five years ago. But so like, and like I was one of the first ones that was asked. He said, hey, I'm going to put this together. Will you please be one of the speakers? It was over a year out from the conference. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't want to drive up to Boise, Idaho from Emory County, Utah. I don't like traveling. I don't like being in a car. Not even to go to Price, which is in Carbon County, just north where the the stores and the grocery stores are. I don't like – I like being in a truck, a semi-truck. I could drive all day long in a semi-truck. Don't ask me why, but when I get in a car, it's just lower to the ground. It's more laid back. I don't like it. I like being in my semi-truck. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, but I did not want to drive all the way to Boise, Idaho. But but Tony Davis, I think his name was. No, was it Tony? Well, it was Tony, whatever his name was. He kept bugging me. And I'm like, fine, fine, I'll go. I'll be one of the speakers. Like, and I'm, I'm not doing this for money. I have to pay for my own expenses. I have to pay for a hotel room when I get up there. Like... It's just a pain in the butt. I don't want to do it. But, like, I'm like, fine. So, anyway, so it's getting kind of close to the conference. And I think the conference was in July of 2015 or 16. I can't remember. And I get a message, a call from Tony. And he says, oh, we have too many speakers. So, um, you don't need to speak. And I was like, what are you talking about? You bugged me for all of this time to, and I didn't want to do it. And I finally said I would do it. What, what's going on here? And he's all, oh, we just, we have too many speakers. And I was like, what's going on? Cause I knew, I knew something was going on. And I finally got him to admit that Adrian Larson and Denver Snuffer specifically said that if I was invited invited to the conference that they would not come. They have a larger following than I have. Like the other individuals who are at the conference, they didn't, 
like they were leaders of churches and stuff like different branches of the restoration and i'm not talking about brighamite branches either like it was just it was an interesting conference but denver snuffer was was there and and adrian larson and they said if i was at the conference that they would not come why i never spoke anything bad against them the experiences that I've had, I thought were interesting that they kind of paralleled with Denver Snuffer. No, I haven't written a book. No, I'm not a lawyer. No, I do not have time to do that stuff. I assumed that Denver was a true prophet because he seemed so very close to the true prophets that it's hard that even the very elect of God may be deceived. That's what Joseph Smith, basically paraphrasing him, Joseph Smith said that when God raises up a true prophet, Satan will raise up prophets that are so very close to the truth that the elect of God will be deceived. And those who are following people like Denver Snuffer and Phil Davis and other individuals are being led astray by false prophets who are teaching false doctrines, like the fact that they say the Aaronic priesthood was taken off the earth. No revelation says that that ever happened. And if you go by logical deduction and you realize that you can't come into the presence of the Father without having the Melchizedek priesthood, like the physical presence, not a vision or a dream. You cannot come into the presence of the Father without having the fullness or without having the Melchizedek priesthood. That means that the Melchiz or the, the, the fullness of the priesthood is not just the Melchizedek priesthood. And that God did not take the Melchizedek priesthood away, or he would have said so in a revelation that nobody has. Because what they're teaching is a lie to deceive the people. There's lots of other lies that they teach as well. And they're very charismatic. And I don't know about Denver Snuffer because he's been very good at keeping his private life private. But I know Phil Davis has been caught uh, violently masturbating to some kind of crazy porn on camera. And there's some other stuff that um, that's been talked about. And I've met him, and like, he's a control freak. Absolutely. And it might just be my my discernment, but I knew that before I met him. And not because there was people talking behind his back. I knew it because I knew it because of discernment. But their role as Judas goats is to lead people who are not worthy of a far greater blessing away. It's a sifting tool. They think that they're going to be part of the remnant. The remnant's a lot smaller than they think it is. The, the people who follow these individuals have traded one form of prophet worship for another. Now, I do not want you to worship me. I do not want you to do what you've done with the the presidents of the, of the church with me. A lot of people, they, they have turned the, the presidents of the church who they call prophets, seers, and revelators into idols. I want you to know my my fallacies that God takes me the weak thing of the world and he he shows forth his power and 
the witness of God that I have is like, you know, it's just, when I think carnally about what I have been through and given as far as um, the blessings, I think, why in the world would God choose somebody like me? There's, there's other individuals who are better spoken, more well-read, who have the time to write books. I don't. I don't have that skill. Like, there's other individuals who are better than I am. Why would he choose me? But the fact of the matter is, he did choose me. He uses, the, he takes the, th- the weak things of the world, and I am the weak, to show forth his power. Same thing with Joseph Smith. Anyway, continuing on with this reading. Here then is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God, and you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and be kings and priests to God, meaning that you're given the fullness of the priesthood. Because like I said before, when you're made a, um, uh, when you're given the Melchizedek priesthood, you're not made a king and a priest. The king and the priest thing comes when you're given the fullness of the priesthood. And that's not from man to man. That's from God anointing you to become the Lord's anointed, and to become a king and a priest or a queen and a priestess. Anyway, you've got to learn how to be God yourselves and to be kings and priests unto God, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another and from one small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you obtain to the resurrection of the dead. History of the Church, Volume 6, page 306. Now, this reminds me of something. So, somebody asked in a, in a Facebook group, why do we have to gain membership in the, in the kingdom of heaven if we've already been there? And he was talking about the pre-existence. You may have been in the presence of our Father, who is Michael and our God, but the pre-existence was in heaven. Now, I know this is really, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. Our pre-existence was the older earth that we lived on. We lived in mortality on that earth, and we died on that earth. We were resurrected on that earth, and we lived during a millennial time period where Michael was our Redeemer, Jehovah was our Adam, and Jesus was God the Witness or the Holy Spirit, and that they all were resurrected beings during the millennial time period, and we grew together. On that earth, we had the opportunity in our damned state of resurrection to put our resurrected bodies off, a new earth was created by Jehovah showing showing Michael how to create an earth, and then Michael became the Adam of this world. When we put off our resurrected bodies and came to this world, that world became part of the Shamaim or the heavens, which is plural. And those individuals who were not damned, those individuals were exalted, and that is their heaven.
and we came here. And as spirit beings, we have had assignments, and all of us came here. Even the rebellion, the rebellious, that happened there, they came here too. Lucifer, who in his mortality on that older earth was one of the great prophets, he was chosen to be God the witness of this earth. And in his rebellion, because of his pride and his arrogance, he fell. But guess where he was sent to? This earth. All of us were, except for those who were exalted on that earth. When that earth became a fire of sea and glass and it joined with the heavens or the Shamaim, we came here. That individual who was like, it was like, why do we have to gain a citizenship in a, in a place that we've that we've already been to? Because that's his assumption that we've actually been to heaven. We have not. And and understanding these things uh, is hard because we've been taught on from from our youth. On our on our parents' bended knee or our grandparents' bended knee or some pastor or or whatever will teach us something and he'll just they'll they will just assume things and their assumptions are incorrect. These people are not prophets. They do not know and they assume they that they know what they're talking about. They they do not. And, like, I don't think it really matters one way or another whether, whether uh, like, there's one heaven or many heavens or whether there's one resurrection or many resurrections. And, by the way, there are many resurrections. It, it, like, it doesn't matter at this time. What matters is that you are, that you become a child of Jesus Christ who has paid already paid for your sins. You have to accept that and follow him and his teachings. He taught the law of God. He taught from the Torah. He fulfilled the Torah by living it perfectly as an example of how we are supposed to live. He paid for our sins and transgressions in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed that upon the cross and then broke the bands of death so that we could be resurrected and so that the, the fall could be could be fixed. The fall that was intentional but had to have had to be fixed. The most important thing for us is that we accept Jesus Christ and that he becomes our Lord and our Savior. And because he paid for our sins and transgressions with the price of his own blood, he becomes our Father as well, even though there's a Father above him. And all of these other mysteries that I'm teaching you, and all of the mysteries that I don't even know yet, they're not necessary for us to know. God has revealed these things to me. He's told me to be bold with the people. And I guess... I guess that part of God explaining these things to me and giving me these mysteries to share with you is is one of the ways that you can actually tell that I have the fruits of being a prophet 
the revelations that God has given me that he's told me to write down, those are the fruits of being a revelator. And the visions and uh, the visions and um, dreams that I have been shown that have been prophetic, that have been from him, that is the fruits of being a seer. So I have the fruits of being a prophet, seer, and revelator. And those are the fruits that you should look for when you have somebody who claims to be a prophet, seer, and revelator. Now, the individuals who lead the corporation soul of the first presidency of the Brighamite church who claim to be prophets, seers, and revelators, they don't have the gift of prophecy. They do not have the gift of being a seer, and they do not have the gift of being revelators. They have the gift of being Babylonian businessmen who wear wool suits, wolves in sheep's clothing, false administrators, who claim that Brigham Young was a prophet, who claim that the restoration and the keys of authority go up through their church when clearly the church was resurre- or was rejected in 1843. Now, even if you don't take the Lyman White journal um, where Joseph Smith was talking about how the church had been rejected, whether that whether you take that as evidence or not, it doesn't really matter because Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, you will be rejected as a church with your dead. Was the temple ever finished in the life of Joseph Smith? No. Did the father ever come to the temple to restore the fullness of the priesthood? No. Did Jesus Christ ever come to restore the fullness of the priesthood? No, he did not. Where did Brigham Young claim he got the fullness of the priesthood? He got it from Joseph Smith in the red brick store. Where did the revelation say the fullness of the priesthood had to be restored? In the temple that was to be built. Who had to restore it? The Father. Did Joseph Smith have the authority to give the fullness of the priesthood to Brigham Young in the red brick store? No, he did not. And I do not believe that Joseph Smith had the fullness of the priesthood either. Brigham Young's story about how he received the fullness of the priesthood contradicts the revelation given in January of 1841, which the Brighamite Church deems as Doctrine and Covenants section 124. All of the things that Jesus said would happen if that happened, if the saints were obedient, the beginning of revelations, like the the restoration of the the times and seasons or the Moedim of Yehovah, like there was a whole bunch of stuff that was supposed to happen if that temple was finished. None of that ever happened. Jesus says, if you do not do these things, you'll instead of blessings, you will be uh, you'll receive wrath, cursings, and indignation. And what happened to the saints? Jesus said, if you do these things, you'll be you will be I will fight your battles for you, and you shall not be removed from your place, which was Nauvoo. What happened? Did they stay in Did they stay in Nauvoo? When they were walking across the plains and when they settled the Salt Lake Valley, were they blessed? Well, partly, yeah, but the the hardship, the amount of loss of life, that was a curse. Jesus said, I will fight your battles for you and you shall not be removed from your place. But what happened? They were removed.
they were cursed to the fourth generation as Jesus said they would be for disobedience. And they were rejected as a church with their dead. Now, we don't just throw Brigham Young out. Brigham Young is an interesting individual. He did lead the people. He 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 helped keep the church together, uh, except for the branches that broke off and splintered off. He learned many things from the prophet Joseph Smith, but he did not understand all of it, and he pollute it wasn't understood correctly in his mind. So, like you have glimpses and and. Uh, slivers of truth and even whole trees of truth but there's branches missing (laughs) but he understood Joseph Smith and some of these deeper doctrines because Joseph Smith taught them to him now the churches the church the modern church of today will say that they want to be popular with the world so they'll reject what what Brigham Young taught them because they don't want to have these strange doctrines that don't go along with the popularity of the, of the churches of the world. So they will say, oh, he never taught that or, oh, we don't, oh, he was a product of his time. Oh, we're not going to worry about what he said. And out of the other side of their their face, they'll say, the president of the church can never lead you astray. Well, Brigham Young taught the Adam-God doctrine from 1854 until 1877, longer than any other president of the Brighamite church, including, if you want to include Joseph Smith in the in the original church. Because, like, these, these people think that uh, from the restoration on, it was all one church. So if you you include uh, Joseph Smith and then Brigham Young, then John Taylor, and then all the way up to Russell M. Nelson, Brigham Young actually lived longer than all of the rest. He was the president of the church for longer than anyone else. And according to the modern Mormons, he led the church astray in false doctrine. Even though they will say out of the other side of their face... The president of the church can never lead you astray. I'm sorry if I have to disabuse you of the notions of the infallacy of of the LDS church, but let me tell you that they have been operating on a lie. That the authority that they claim to have They don't have. They do not have the keys and the authority that they claim to have. They are prophets that do not have the fruit of being prophets. Seers who do not have the fruit of being seers. And revelators who do not have the fruit of being revelators. And they are the religious men that will lead you to the great and spacious building, not to the tree of life. Continuing on with this particular chapter, we're going to read some Brigham Young quotes. For any person to have the fullness of that priesthood, he must be a king and a priest. History of the Church, Volume 5, page 527. And let me just say... <laughs> you don't get the fullness of the priesthood by man. God ordains you with the fullness of the priesthood under his own hand. Brigham Young couldn't ordain you as a king and a priest and have that have any validity in the eyes of God. The father has to choose that individual, not some man on the earth, whether he be the Lord's anointed or anything else. He can he can do that preparatory 
to you becoming a king and a priest, but the ordination has to be done by the Father himself. Continuing on with Heber C. Kimball, this brings to my mind the vision that Joseph Smith had when he saw Father Adam open the gate of the celestial city and admit the people one by one. He then saw Father Adam conduct them to the throne one by one, and when they were they were crowned kings and priests of God. Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 41. So those individuals who received their exaltations were made kings and priests, and they were crowned with they were crowned with the fullness of the priesthood. Anyway, Lorenzo Snow said, Brother Snow, as the patriarch of this house, bestowed blessings upon the heads of many members of his large family, intending to continue before they separated for their respective homes to lay his hands upon and bless them until all received his administrations. As it is unlikely that they will ever enjoy another reunion of this kind in in this state of existence. But in the great eternity before us all, they expect a reunion of a far more extensive and pleasing character. When the head of this family, having gained his exaltation and holding the keys of of eternal lives, an endless increase will gather around him all that ha- that belonged to his house, saved, redeemed, resurrected, glorified, to reign over them as a king and a priest unto God forever. And that is recorded um, by Lorenzo Snow. By the way, um, I put all of these... Um, all of these, this this chapter, I'm going to put this all uh, in the link to the, the video description, uh, to the podcast description, so you can go read this all for yourself. Excuse me. And then you can ponder over these things for yourselves, but just because Lorenzo Snow says something doesn't mean he understands it. Continuing on with Franklin D. Richards, those holding the true the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessings. In fact, that priesthood is a perfect law of theocracy and stands as God to give laws to the people administering endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Franklin D. Richards and James A. Little, Compendium of the Doctrine and uh, Doctrine of the Gospel, pages 279 to 280. Now we're going to get into Hugh Nibley here. Not a fan of Hugh Nibley. But we're going to read this book, and I'm going to read every word of it, so we'll get into the hue. (laughs) Hugh Nibley. In the secrets of Enoch, we are told that Melchizedek will be priest and king in the place at the center of the earth when the Lord will bring him forth as another Melchizedek of the lineage of the first Melchizedek. Here is identity indeed. Melchizedek seceding himself in the in the Fistus Sophia, which is um, a book that we covered like, I don't know, 10 episodes ago. Oh my gosh, that was a hard one to get through. But anyway, in the Fistus uh, Sophia, Jesus says that the higher... The higher mysteries tell how all are to be saved in the time and in the number of Melchizedek the Great, the mediator of the light, the agent of all who is at the center of the world. 
And that's according to Enoch the prophet, page 29 and 30. Kings and priests in the last days. Uh, January 1st, 1845, which was a Wednesday, apparently. The organization of the kingdom of God on the 11th of March last is one important event. (laughs) The organization was called the Council of Fifty or the Kingdom of God and was titled by Revelation as followed. Verily thus saith the Lord, this is the name by which you shall be called, the kingdom of God and his laws with the keys and powers thereof and the judgment in the hands of his servants. Amen, Christ. That's actually the constitution of the kingdom of God, which is not well known. Let me read it again. The kingdom of God and his laws with the keys and power thereof and judgment in the hands of his servants. Amen, Christ. Uh, now, let's look at this real quick. Okay, when did this happen? January 1st, 1845. Six or seven months after Joseph Smith was murdered. If the church had been rejected at that point, do we accept this revelation? Well, that's between you and God. Continuing on, in this council was President Joseph chosen as our prophet. See, that doesn't make any sense. So this probably happened before his death in 1843, and it wasn't recorded in a journal for some reason until 1845, which is is suspicious to me. It's just interesting. Anyway, that comes from the Journal of William Clayton, who is also suspect. Page 153, see also Michael D. Quinn, The Mormon Hierarchy and the Origin of Power. Page 229, for more information about Joseph Smith being ordained a king of the kingdom of God by the Council of Fifty. Interesting. Now, does the Council of Fifty have the authority to make Joseph Smith into a king and a priest spiritually? Who gave them that authority? The authority belongs to God in whom he will make a king and a priest or a queen and a priestess. Anyway, continuing on, we're at 88%. Brother Brigham Young, I pour this holy consecrated oil upon your head and anoint thee a king and a priest of the Most High God over the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and unto all Israel. Heber C. Kimball, ordaining Brigham Young as a priest and a king to Israel, the Mysteries of Godliness, page 88. That's interesting. Who gave Heber C. Kimball the authority to anoint Brigham Young as a king and a priest over anything at all? Brother Heber Chase Kimball, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pour upon thy head this holy oil, a priest, and we anoint thee a king and unto the Most High God in and over the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and also Israel. And that's Brigham Young ordaining Heber C. Kimball, so they ordained each other, like, hey, let's go get this done. Okay, I'm a king, so you're going to anoint me as a king, and I'm going to anoint you as a king because you're a king too. I'm sorry, I'm skeptical because I knew, I know that the church was rejected, but I also know 
some other things about Brigham Young that I'm not going to bring up here at this time. Anyway, that is recorded in um, The Mysteries of Godliness, page um, 87. So, anyway, that's the end of the reading of this particular chapter. Um, We do have two chapters left. Now, there's something interesting about the chapter that's coming up. So, chapter 29, well, there's nothing really interesting about chapter 29, but chapter 30, I've gone over it, and I cannot find the end of this chapter. Like, I have gone over it a bunch. I've put it into um, the computer. I've tried to... um, (laughs) I've tried to... uh, to do a find in page for chapter 31 i can't find it i don't know what's going on here and it's really long so all right the next chapter is chapter 29 and we'll be talking about the second death in that chapter and then chapter 30 talks about robert matthias which was this false prophet or this Jesus goat that um that for some reason we're going to talk about that but um let me see here. I'm going to select all of this. And then we're going to put this in my reader program just so I can see how long it is. Okay, the next chapter. Ooh, that might be a two-episode two chapter. We'll have to see. It's a lot of a lot of stuff, but anyway. So that that's the next chapter. It talks about the second death, and then we've got this chapter thirty-one, and I don't even know what to do with it because I can't find the end of this chapter. Like it doesn't say the end, and then it's an appendix. Like it just goes on and on and on, and I don't know how in the world I'm going to be able to break this up. But this particular chapter. Okay, so the last chapter was uh, 20 minutes worth of reading uh, on the reader program. That would take me four hours to read. Chapter 30, what I have here, is 13 hours and 40 minutes long. I don't know how to split this up. It's not in chapters. The author of this book, who is anonymous, I think that they, I don't think they finished the book. I think they just compiled a bunch of stuff and they tried to organize it into chapters and they got all the way to chapter 30 and I don't know what to do with this book. So anyway, uh, we'll figure it out at, at another time, but... Oh, man, I can only do these um, these podcasts in the morning before the, the kids wake, wake up. So this morning I woke up at 5 a.m. And, uh, and it is now 7.20 and I know the kids are going to wake up so I can do this one podcast today and then hopefully I'll be able to do another podcast tomorrow. And then uh, hopefully, let's see, Friday morning, um, I go to work Friday afternoon, so I might be able to make another podcast on Friday as well. Uh, So anyway, um, I think that uh, we'll be done with the program, and I hope that you... Take the time to ponder the things that that I'm saying. And I say these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. Amen.